0: the Republican nomination. Although this show isn't going to be about that very much, quite frankly. And we'll get into all that in just a minute. So we're back, live from the Renegade Talk Radio Studios, the most shocking and the most offensive radio network in America. Although, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I don't consider myself to be too offensive unless you are offended by the truth. As I said in the introduction, Donald Trump just won the Republican nomination. I don't have a lot to say about Trump today or the Republican National Convention. Everybody else is talking about that. You know, Donald Trump came out yesterday. Uh, to We Are the Champions. Very interesting. It came out to a song performed by a homosexual man. Uh, Donald Trump's wife lifted uh, pretty much all of Michelle Obama's 2008 Democratic National Convention speech. Although there is some evidence to show that perhaps the 2008 speech from Michelle Obama was also cribbed from a 1984 book called uh, Something About South Africa. You can look it up on Zero Hedge if you want. The thing that struck me most yesterday were comments by Stephen King, uh, the absolutely awful congressman. And I've covered King before in my past columns for Examiner.com, which is now shut down. You can find my new columns on Occupied Democrats and the anti-media, and also on Ruthless-Politics.com. So Mr. King was bloviating on, and uh, he wondered what subgroups have contributed to civilization besides White Christian people. Since I'm a generous man, I decided uh, maybe I would give Mr. King a, a mild explanation of history as to what other groups besides white people have contributed. It's just bizarre for King to even ask this question. For example, math, Congressman. White people did not contribute math to civilization. The oldest mathematical texts come from ancient Egypt. Not that he would know this. And um, it's from the Egyptian Middle Kingdom from around uh, 2000 B.C. Well, uh, math is the universal language that, with which the human species exists. Math is universal across the entire spectrum of the universe. Numbers do not change, although Mr. King might debate that point. When individuals are curious about uh, Mr. King, he probably also wouldn't know... About a compass for the human species to explore, which was created by the Chinese Han Dynasty in around the year two hundred BC, long before Christianity existed, long before white cornbread idiots like himself were bloviating on, wondering about what other quote subgroups. It's just it's it's embarrassing, ladies and gentlemen. What about irrigation? You know. How individuals cultivated their food and survived in the early days of human civilization. This seems to be something that would be very important. Something with which Mr. King apparently is unfamiliar. So Egypt and Mesopotamia simultaneously were the first to bring about irrigation. Now, why is Mr. King unaware of this? Did he believe that white Christian people developed irrigation and allowed uh, civilizations to blossom because they were able to feed their growing populations? I don't think so. What about the field of dance? Now, the oldest proof of evidence of dancing is from a cave in India from 9,000 years ago, long before white Christian males were populating the earth, spreading this type of propaganda. Music, for example, Mr. King? Now, in the year 4000 BC, they found uh harps and flutes in Egypt, and it would be 1500 years until a musical instrument was found in a white part of the world, in Denmark in 2500 BC. Although at that time, Denmark was not particularly white either, you fucking idiot. That's all I have to say about Steve King. That that's your that's your little lesson, Congressman, about what People besides white Christian males have contributed to society. It's embarrassing. Donald Trump's the GOP nominee for president. He's beating Hillary Clinton in certain polls by 1, 2, 3, 6%. Clinton's numbers seem to be continually dwindling. Trump's Trump's numbers continually are on the rise. Now, the interesting thing about Mr. Trump is how the media continues to portray, I mean, particularly after the debacle yesterday with his wife stealing Michelle Obama's speech. Now, you know, whose opinion are you going to change by continually talking about this? It's a mistake by the leftists. It's a mistake by the liberal media to continue to harp on this because guess what? You're just giving Donald Trump airtime. Democrats are not talking about what they are offering. They are not talking about what they are going to do the entire news cycle today. If you go look at all of the major news aggregators, it's all about Trump. This is a bunch of free publicity. Why are Democrats not talking about what they have to offer? Why are Democrats giving this free information... This free airplay to Mr. Trump over and over again. It's as if they just have not learned their lesson. They haven't been wrapped on the wrist enough times with the ruler to understand that perhaps they should talk about themselves and stop talking about Donald Trump. Stop giving him free airplay. That's it. I'm done with the Republican National Convention. I'm done with Donald Trump for this program. That's it. I want to move on to some underreported news, which is a staple of this program. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, Kansas voter suppression law that's been happening. I think it's egregious. It is embarrassing. It is something that... Oh, well, what's happening with my computer here? You know, when I came back to Renegade Talk Radio, they told me that we were going to have better equipment. I do have a nicer studio now, I will admit. It is a nicer studio. Although it does kind of reek of sex in here, I'm not sure. But it's a nicer studio. Um, but the computers aren't so great. However, we do have a stock bar with literally at least 150 different liquor bottles. So you know that we have our we have our priorities straight here at Renegade Talk Radio. Now, on to the Kansas voter suppression law. Now, recently, today, the American Civil Liberties Union filed suit against Kansas election officials who are seeking to throw out thousands of votes in state and local races from people who registered, motor, who registered at motor, motor vehicle offices. Very bizarre, ladies and gentlemen. Now, This lawsuit comes a week after the State Rules and Regulation Board approved a rule that counts only votes cast in federal races by New Kansas voters who registered at state motor vehicle offices, but didn't comply with the archaic 2013 state law requiring them to provide citizenship papers. Now, that is a distinct difference, which I hope Renegade Nation will pay attention to. Not a driver's license, but citizenship papers. How are you supposed to prove your citizenship exactly? You have to show up to your voting booth now with your birth certificate? In Kansas, this is true. Now, the individual who produced this debacle is Secretary of State Chris Kobach. Kobach is somebody with which Renegade Nation should pay attention to because he is on the rise. He is helping to craft GOP policy across the nation. Kobach will seek higher office and could potentially run for president in the next 8 to 12 years. So just remember you heard that here first. I'll be waiting to be proved correct on that. But the rules, which Mr. Kobach uh, offered, they would remain in effect until no, no, November 8th. Now, the rule applies to new Kansas voters who registered at state motor vehicle offices but don't comply with 2013 state law requiring them to provide citizenship papers. Now, this affects 50,000 voters. And the, ACLC, the ACLU lawsuit seeks to restore full voting rights To those 50,000 potential voters, plus 383 Kansas residents who used a federal forum to register. Oddly, Mr. Kobach's office said it was reviewing the complaint and would issue a statement later. Hopefully they'll issue a statement before November. Now, what you have to understand, Renegade Nation, is this rule was passed in near secret and twisted Kansas law to accomplish their goals. Typically, a rule change like this would require months or years to be implemented. But Kansas law says the state agency "quote sees quick action as necessary to preserve the public peace, health, safety, or welfare." What gibberish? What does that mean exactly? Quick action is necessary to preserve public peace. Now you have to consider when we're talking about voter fraud in America. There are over 120 million votes that were cast in the 2012 election. How many instances of voter fraud were there out of those 120 million votes? Do you know? What do you think is like a million? Five million cases of voter fraud out of 120 million? Because it seems like a serious problem for a Secretary of State of a large state To be offering this. Actually, the number is 38. It's not even close to anything. 38 cases. In the majority of the cases, the individuals were voting Republican. They weren't even voting Democrat. Now, the the real meat between the bread here, you know, the Kansas Proof of Citizenship law has been at the center of multiple lawsuits, one which included U.S. District Judge Julie Robinson in early May when she ruled that under federal law, people who register at these motor vehicle offices are indeed eligible to cast ballots in federal races, regardless of whether or not they met the state's proof of citizenship requirement. But of course, the Republican Party and its various vessels have championed the proof of citizenship requirement as a way to prevent voting by non-citizens. Now, why this is important, of course, is in Kansas, coming up in November... All the seats of the state legislature are up for grabs. Every single seat, where 50,000 votes in a local election very well could make a difference in the election. We're talking about county clerks, we're talking about state Congress, state Senate. These are races that are often determined by 5, 10, 20 votes and 50,000 people may be ineligible. And just as an aside for individuals to say, well, non-citizens should not be allowed to vote, these are the same individuals who are working. These are individuals who are paying taxes but have no way to recover their tax money. Billions of dollars are spent, excuse me, billions of dollars are taken from individuals who do not have citizenship in the United States with which these individuals have no way to recover their money. Do you believe that that's a tax placed upon their heads? I don't think so. And I would hope that you would consider the ramifications of a law like this were allowed to become to fruition. That's it for me right now. I'll be back after a quick break. Thank you very much. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration. Plus, a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So, check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Give 50% off one item when you type BABE69 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE69 at adamandeve.com. We don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> this is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. <laughs> And we're back. Renegade Talk Radio. Luke El Giovanni Show. I'm Luke Elgiovanni. Giovanni. It's not Cola Giovanni. My name is not phonetic. Thank you very much. We're back. Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio Studios. The most shocking, the most offensive radio network in America. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the segment that a friend of Renegade Talk Radio, Fox News correspondent Carl Higby, has agreed once again to step into the arena with me. Mr. Higby and I have debated in the past. We haven't debated in almost a year. We will be debating again very soon, so stay tuned for that. I would think that Carl probably got the best of me in our last debate, but in my defense, I was hung over and only had two hours of sleep, for whatever that's worth. I'm looking forward to sparring with Carl again. It should be very exciting for everybody else. So, diving back into the news, ladies and gentlemen. The story that jumped out at me recently was a story about a man in Texas who vandalized his own truck and blamed it on Black Lives Matter. If you want to listen to my previous programs, you can hear my thoughts on Black Lives Matter. If you follow me on Facebook, you can read some of my thoughts on Black Lives Matter. You can follow my personal profile, or you can look up Luke Giovanni and find my fan page with over 180,000 fans around the world. So, in this case... There's a Texas man named Scott Lattin, who's a disabled veteran, who claimed that his truck had been vandalized from anti-police sympathizers. Uh, He had Police Lives Matter written on his rear window. Uh, He had blue ribbons tied around his property to show support of police. And suddenly, his vehicle was vandalized. Uh, There were messages like, Fuck your flag, your family, your feelings, and your faith. He claimed that uh, they tore up the glove box, they ripped up the seats, they stole uh, his CD player, but police say that Mr. Ladin was lying. Very amusing. So how did the police know Mr. Ladin was lying? Yeah, He probably should have watched a little Perry Mason, a little Matlock. I don't know. But the game was given away for this individual. When uh, news reporters came and, uh, you know, they show the damage to his vehicle and police investigators who originally arrived on the scene noticed discrepancies with the condition of the inside of the vehicle, because when police officers were originally there, there was no damage to the inside of his vehicle, ladies and gentlemen. Then on the local news, the next night, suddenly, mysteriously, miraculously, the inside of his vehicle was vandalized. Well, Mr. Latin must have did not think this through. It's an embarrassment for him. It's an embarrassment for everybody else. However, he denies the charges, even though he was arrested on Friday with a misdemeanor charge of making a false police report. He says that he didn't vandalize this truck. Note that he says it was not him. He doesn't say that it wasn't an accomplice. Uh, there's no evidence to show that he didn't act alone, but. Perhaps he is making a truthful statement saying that he didn't vandalize his truck. Maybe it was somebody else. But it's very strange for his vehicle to have been vandalized after police showed up. And he didn't claim that he was vandalized a second time. That that maybe might have been my advice to him as a lawyer. So, well, I, gee, I, for, I was you know so shocked I forgot to call the police. I was so distraught. And I forgot to call you guys after they vandalized my truck a second time. That's my free advice to Mr. Latin. What a schmuck. Moving on, though, ladies and gentlemen, because I can't talk about that guy forever. I want to talk to you about something that's near and dear to my heart, and if you want to review my previous shows on the Renegade Talk Radio website at renegadetalkradio.com, look in our archives, you can find programs where I've discussed privatized prisons. I have done several shows on this. I've done interviews on privatized prisons around the country, uh, particularly in Chicago, In Atlanta was one of my better shows, if you want to look that up. Um, I used to appear regularly on a show called Liberal Fix. Anyway, there's a lot of information. I I have a lot of strong feelings on uh, privatized prisons. So recently, the Federal Communications Commission has decided that they want to try to raise the limit for the price of prisoners and their families to pay for phone calls. Because people in prison have so much money to spend, right? because individuals who find themselves in prison typically are of a lower economic class and therefore do not have money to fight the system and therefore do not have the money to fight their charges and not have money to pay the exorbitant fines which are levied against them. So what has the uh, FCC decided to do? Let's raise the price to make a telephone call so they can reach out to the outside world since they're sitting behind bars 24 hours a day. Now, the FCC chairman, whose name is Tom Wheeler, and uh, a commissioner last week proposed new caps of $0.13 to $0.31 per minute, and the only reason that they would up the ante, why else would you do this unless you're trying to satisfy privatized prison owners and phone companies? Now before I get any further into this, let me just state that it is absolutely bizarre that privatized prisons exist in America. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you a question you think about this to yourself. What benefit is there to the greater good of society to have individuals in a prison that is owned by a corporation which satisfies the needs of shareholders for profits? What system benefits from taking money out of a prison and putting it into the hands of shareholders? What is the greater good in that scenario? There is none. It makes no sense to take money from a a prison system and give it to shareholders. And therefore, the entire privatized prison system is a ruse and a scam that has been perpetuated upon the American people for decades, ladies and gentlemen. Now, while this uh, rate hike has been proposed, and it will be voted on on August 4th, but in the meantime, the FCC has been able to implement an interim cap of 21 cents a minute for debit and prepaid calls. And 25 cents a minute for collect calls. But... These limits apply only to interstate calls. Which means uh, st- those calls that cross state lines. For local calls, there are no limits. And each jail or prison may charge whatever they damn well please. Consider that, ladies and gentlemen. Now... On on top of taking money out of the prison system, on top of charging the most poor, the most destitute individuals in America, of which America maintains 20-25% to of the world's prisoners, think about this. The proposed rate caps would be higher at smaller facilities, with 13 cent limits applying only to state or federal prisons. The proposal includes a $0.19 limit for jails with 1,000 or more inmates, $0.21 limits for jails with 350 to 99 inmates, and $0.31 for jails with fewer than 350 inmates. So smaller jails are paying higher prices. Why is that? Because these corporations can't extract money otherwise because there are too few prisoners in the facilities. Now, anybody who believes that this is a good idea, anybody who believes that prisoners should be paying more money in a private prison institution really should examine the facts. Private prisons, and statistics will show this. You can look it up. Go ahead. I cannot Google it for you while I'm live on the air. Private prisons have a higher turnover rate for staff because staff that they have there are under-trained, there are higher incidents of violence the return rate from individuals in privatized prisons is greater and this is all because money is taken out of the system it is not spent on rehabilitation it is not spent on reacclimating these prisoners to society it is put in the pockets of individuals who quite frankly don't deserve it it I think is one of the more disgusting elements of American life and American society. I hope you will join me in uh, the disdain for this system. And, you know, I can understand how individuals would have zero inclination to be worried or to even give this type of a proposal a second thought because they say, you know what, You, you committed crimes, why should I make your telephone calls cheaper? Why should I make it, why should I make sure that Guards and facilities are more equipped to deal with you Which I would think that would be the benefit of the guards who have not committed any crimes You'd want to keep those individuals safe Most individuals Want to hear nothing on this subject and they would like life in prison to be as miserable as possible For those who have been convicted of committing crimes in American society And in some respects, I can understand that viewpoint But ladies and gentlemen we have uniformity of law in our country Everybody should be treated the same Everybody should be treated fairly If an individual is in prison for a petty crime Obviously they probably don't have that much money Their family probably doesn't have that much money So why would these individuals be taxed at a higher rate? Why would these individuals be put in a position Where they can't speak with their own family members Because nobody can afford it You know? It's not like you can buy a phone card for a dollar you know these are things that you have to spend 20 thirty dollars on at a time which is frankly gas money or money to put food on the table for the family that uh, wants to speak with their incarcerated family member so ladies and gentlemen I just ask you to consider those those, those thoughts when we talk about raising rates on prisoners because it's not a hotel they're not happy to be there We, we live in the age of Skype You can literally talk to anybody for free if you want to, but phone companies and private prisons have to get their profits. I think it's embarrassing, ladies and gentlemen. And when I come back in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to have a brand new segment for all of you to listen to. It's going to become a staple of my program. I hope you will all enjoy it. And uh, if you don't enjoy it, well, I'm going to keep doing it anyway. So be right back. Luke Giovanni Show, Renegade Talk Radio. Be right back. Thank you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back for the third and final installment of my return to Renegade Talk Radio for the third season. Now ladies and gentlemen, this is a the, the segment we're going to get into may offend individuals, but I assure you it is entirely factual. If you have a problem with the information that I present to you because you think it's not true, I think you'll find it difficult to locate spelling errors in any of my work, let alone factual inaccuracies. But I want to talk to you now about defensive gun use, which is what I'm going to close my program with from now on. I'm going to be talking about stories that are underreported in the media, certainly underreported by the leftist media, of which I am a member. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it occurs to me, when I talk about defensive gun use, individuals immediately shirk away. They do not want me to point out to you that guns can be used in a responsible manner, or guns can be used to save lives. On social media, I've had people question me, why do you continually talk about this? I talk about it because it's important, because I do not believe in disingenuous arguments. Now, for example, there was a case on July 15th of a female realtor in Arkansas who was preparing to show a house in Jonesboro where when she walked in the house, when it should have been empty, she found three men inside the home. There should have been nobody inside. Can you imagine? What if your mother was a realtor? What if your sister? What if anybody you know who's a female was a realtor, walks into a house that should be empty, being prepared to show, so she can make some money, and there's three men in there? Would you prefer that your... Female counterparts, your wife, your mother, your sister, your grandmother, your aunt. Somebody who you know, to be accosted by three men. It's, it's, it's bizarre. So, the realtor whose name has not been released, and that's the thing about these stories. The, the victim's name is typically not released by police, and why should it be? Why should this woman's name be drugged through the mud in the media? Because she defended herself with a weapon. So, the individual, the the realtor comes in, she finds these three individuals, two of them immediately flee, but she sees another naked man passed out unconscious on the floor. So, she calls police, and the two suspects who fled, fled into another bedroom. The realtor announces, I have a weapon. I will shoot you if you come out of that room. They didn't come out of the room. What would have happened if she didn't have a weapon? What would have happened, ladies and gentlemen? Let your mind run wild about what would have happened. So the police arrive. The naked man, who was, by the way, his name was Corey Van Dyke, who's 38 years old. When they wake Van Dyke up, He starts immediately making threats. He told police he was going to put a bullet into the back of one of the officers' heads. Van Dyke told police that he had a uh, a twenty-two caliber rifle with iron sights that he was going to put between their eyes. Now, when police went to collect the two men that were still in the bedroom, for whatever reason, the, the police decided not to surround the house. The men communicated with the police... They did not exit the bedroom The police heard Sounds coming from the bedroom And the police decided to break down the door But by the time the police entered the bedroom The two suspects had jumped out of the Second story window and fled The scene ladies and gentlemen So the police didn't Surround the building two of them got away But Mr. Van Dyke faces first Degree terroristic threatening charge And he's being held at the Craig County Detention Center and uh, it's very likely that he'll be found uh, guilty and convicted of his crime because, well, there are a bunch of police around. It's hard to deny those charges. So that happened last Friday, ladies and gentlemen. What about another instance in fr- on Friday last week from Lumberton, North Carolina, where an a Minimart. mini-mart, just a gas station, a place that sells granola bars, sodas, chips, go and get a pack of cigarettes, a man named Franklin McLaren walks into this A and P, and he points a handgun at the head of the uh, at the head of an employee and says, "Give me all your money." But Mister McLaren was not wait was not uh, prepared for the possibility that an employee in the A and P would have been armed. And there was indeed a second employee who was there. He produced a handgun and he shot McLaren while he had a gun at the head of his colleague. Mr. McLaren tried to run away, but he was found a few blocks away, in the bushes, bleeding nearly to death. His injuries were life-threatening. He's still in the hospital right now. He'll face charges of aggravated armed robbery. As an aside, the difference between uh, an aggravated assault is if an individual uses a weapon. So if he went in there and just tried to rob them with his bare hands, would have been robbery. Would individuals have preferred that the employee of the AMP not had a weapon would the individuals have would individuals have preferred for i don't know this man to escape successfully with robbing everybody would that have been okay with him what if he decided to murder the clerk ask yourself these questions would you Because the stories, they keep on coming. There are so many defensive gun stories that happen in America that are not talked about. Why is that, you should ask yourselves. If you are in favor of guns or you are not, if you are part of the gun debate, and I love a good debate, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about the issues. But let's talk about this information. Let's include this information in the national debate about gun control, about gun safety, about an American's right to defend themselves. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about Mobile, Alabama. On last Saturday, July 16th, where a home invasion went sideways for three robbers who thought they were going to have an easy score. The three men's names are Donald Johnson, Eddie Hardy, both 19, and DeAndre White, 24, who committed the home invasion. Now, Mr. Hardy was shot by the homeowner during the incident can you imagine this ladies and gentlemen three men come into your house to rob you what are you gonna do what if your family's there would you prefer not to have a weapon would you prefer that the homeowner didn't have a weapon to defend himself would you prefer that the homeowner was murdered that his family was murdered These are questions you should ask yourselves when we're talking about defensive gun use, ladies and gentlemen, because there are so many who just believe that guns are evil, that there is no use for them in American society. They believe that everybody plays by the rules and that is not what happens. So, when the officers arrived at the apartment, Mr. Hardy had been shot by the homeowner. And he was transported to a hospital. And guess what? He died from his injuries. Do you feel bad about that? Do you think the homeowner shouldn't have defended himself in his home against three men who came to rob them? Do you think that? Somebody comes into your house who you don't know with an obvious intention to at least steal from you. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? So... I mean, these are just things you should uh, you should ask yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Now, as an aside, Mr. White and Mr. Denson were both charged with robbery in the first degree. Ask yourself these questions, ladies and gentlemen. You think I'm done? I'm not even close to done, ladies and gentlemen. These stories happen across our nation every single day. I report on some of them, but I'm only one man. I have a lot of jobs, I wear a lot of hats. I'm a journalist for a variety of websites. I work for Renegade Talk Radio. I'm a political consultant. We're in the middle of election season. I cannot report on all of these. And oftentimes my editors will reject these stories because they're not juicy enough. Not enough people were murdered. Not enough money was taken. But these stories happen every single day. Just consider the case in Litchfield, Kentucky, which also happened last Saturday. There's a man by the name of Patrick Dwayne Decker who is was 43 years old who broke down the door of his ex-girlfriend whose 11-year-old son was home in the house. Now, the official report says that Decker came to a residence and began banging on the windows and doors and eventually kicked in the door and entered the home and the girlfriend, whose name has not been released nor should it be, fired several shots at him. Now, Mr. Decker immediately fled. And he tried to run to his parents' house, who apparently lived right next door to his ex-girlfriend. If the ex-girlfriend didn't have a gun, what would have happened to her? What would have happened to her son? Would anybody care to wager a guess? I don't even want to think about what would have happened to her if he was already violently banging on windows and eventually kicked in her door. To me, that's obvious signs of intent. I'm sure after he kicked in her door, was not going to present her with a bouquet of roses. Now, there was a domestic violence order placed against Decker previously. But the order had been amended to allow Decker to go and visit his parents' house, which then gave him access to the ex-girlfriend. But he was ordered by the court not to communicate with her, and to stay away from her. Now, it's important to remember that Mr. Decker had a criminal history that included burglary, rape, kidnapping, and assault. And he kicked in her door, and she shot him. And guess what? Mr. Decker, Patrick Dwayne Decker, died as well. Quite frankly, if you're going to enter a home after you have a protection order against you, and you have such a vile criminal history... That's one less scumbag that America has to deal with, ladies and gentlemen. He obviously was going to harm her. He had a history of violence. He was going to harm her. He was going to harm her child. And would some of you prefer that she had been harmed? Because I think some of you really would have liked the headline that she was murdered by a gun rather than she defended herself with a gun. I know there are listeners out there that preferred that, and I really just wonder what reality you live in to where the narrative that you have, you would prefer a situation like that. I find it deplorable. But that case is still under investigation. Now, rounding out this this series, there's going to be two more cases. One case which I personally wrote about on the anti-media. Um, this case, to me, was very interesting. It happened on July 7th in DeSoto, Texas, where Antoine Devon, Devon Cooper walked into a Waffle House with an AK-47 and robbed every single customer. And he took the cash out of the cash register. And he happened to rob a man who was carrying a weapon. But the man, whose name has not been released, he did not engage Cooper at the time. He let Cooper rob him. And he let Cooper leave the building. Now, the man claims... That he said his wife was on the way to the Waffle House. And he feared for his wife's safety. Because what happens if his wife shows up in the parking lot? And she meets Cooper. What's going to happen then? So the man, after Cooper exits the building, gets up. Follows. The man gets up and follows Cooper out of the Waffle House. And gets his attention in some manner. The man then says Cooper turns around and raises AK-47 and therefore he had no choice but to open fire and he shot Cooper several times. Nobody else was injured, by the way. And no charges were filed against the man who shot him. And Mr. Cooper is facing up to 99 years in prison for aggravated attempted robbery. Although I'm not sure why he was charged with attempted robbery because he robbed everybody in that place. So I think that charge will be amended later on. But he's on life support now as well. But something one should ask themselves about this case, as it relates to Texas law, Mr. Cooper was fleeing the area. He didn't shoot anybody. He did not discharge his weapon. But under Texas law, an individual is under no um, requirement to flee from the threat of violence. In Texas, if somebody's threatening you with violence, you don't have to run away. You can immediately defend yourself. But was Mr. Cooper threatening the customer anymore? Was he? Because the Cooper was leaving the Waffle House. He wasn't staying in the Waffle House. The robbery was over. So the man wasn't necessarily retreating, was he? He was pursuing Cooper, which is a violation of Texas law. Now, an... Uh, an aspect of Texas law that's even more curious is section 9.31.2 that says you may not provoke the person against whom the force was used. So did Mr. C- so did the customer provoke Cooper by following him into the parking lot and then yelling at him. Now since it's Texas, likely nothing's going to happen, okay? But is the law being applied fairly in Texas? That's something you might want to ask yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Now, for the final gun, defensive gun use story that I want to present to you in the program, Running It Out. Um, this story involves a man named Jeffrey Lovell, who's 42 years old, and he's been charged with murder, but he was the homeowner, ladies and gentlemen. So, and this is in Massachusetts. Basically what happened in this case, there were three teenagers who were drinking in the afternoon, Saturday afternoon, getting drunk, hey, underage drinking, I don't condone it. But they're drinking in the afternoon. They're drunk, wandering around the neighborhood, going to another friend's house, and they stumble upon Lovell's property. Now, one of the teens whose name has not been released began knocking on Lovell's door. Lovel tried communicating with the young man. But then the the drunken teen allegedly broke a pane of glass in Lovel's door. And Lovel opened fire on the teen, striking him in the abdomen. The teen was then taken to the hospital after Lovel called the police. But uh, tragically, the teen died. So, Mr. Lovel was charged with murder. Now, why is this? Why would Lovel be charged with murder, but the man from Texas not be charged. And this is this is where it gets very interesting. If you want to nerd out with me for a little bit, Renegade Nation, if you want to get into case law, um, this all results from a Massachusetts Supreme Court uh, case called uh, Commonwealth versus Schaefer that happened in 1975. And it was a horrific, tragic case where uh, Ms. Schaefer and her two small children had uh, retreated from her abusive fiancé in their home, and she ran down into the basement. And uh, there had been multiple reports filed against her uh, fiancé in the past where he had beat her, and uh, Shaver claims that she was threatened by her fiancé who was standing at the top of the stairs that said if she didn't come upstairs that he'll come down there and kill her and her children. So when uh, when the fiancé came downstairs, Shaver had a 22 uh, caliber pistol. And she opened fire, and she shot, and uh, she killed him. But she was then indicted for murder. But then she was tried on manslaughter, and she was convicted. How is that possible, you might ask yourself. And it has to do with Massachusetts Castle Doctrine, which is different than Texas Castle Doctrine. As I stated earlier, Texas law says that one does not have a requirement to retreat from a threat of violence. But in Massachusetts, one does have a requirement to retreat from a threat of violence. But retreating applies only to space within the four four walls of your home. She did not retreat from her home, ladies and gentlemen. She retreated to the basement. So therefore, she was guilty of manslaughter. She should have ran out her door, apparently. She shouldn't have run down to the basement. And that's why Mr. Levin is also being charged with murder. He's being charged with murder because he did not attempt to retreat from his home. The teenager didn't enter his home. Had the teenager actually broken down the door and Levin shut him, Levin wouldn't be charged with murder. But even then, Levin didn't try and leave. He would have had to have physically... The teenager would have had to have physically broken down the door and then stopped Levin from leaving. And he wouldn't have been charged with murder. So it's kind of a mixed bag with defensive gun use stories. Each state has its own requirements. Each state has its own stipulations to how you can defend yourself and to what parameters that defense can happen. I suggest uh, no matter where you're listening to me now from the Renegade Talk Radio Studios live from Las Vegas... That you pay attention to what the rules of your state are, what the laws are, because even though you think you may be defending yourself, you may end up charged with murder. You may end up charged with manslaughter. But that's it. That's all I have for you today. Come to the end of my program. Thank you for listening. My name is Luke L. Giovanni. This is the Luke L. Giovanni Show. Um, you can join me on Facebook, my fan page, over over hundred eighty thousand fans. I'm available for hire at exorbitant rates to consult with you on a variety of matters. Feel free to contact me at lcaljavani at consultant.com, or you can call and bother my producer here at Renegade Talk Radio. That's all I have for you now. Thank you. Goodbye.